Today's episode of Vice Versa, we're talking about how ExxonMobil shareholders are demanding answers to climate change, how you can generate power while working out, and why the Ford F-150 range might exceed expectations, and some news about the boring company's tunnels. And as usual, I'm joined by the guy who's now officially a full-time YouTuber, Ricky Roy. I probably should have said that it's the first big news item we have for tonight, but how you doing? First big news. Yeah. What's up, Matt? How's it going? Yeah, we, we talk about this all the time, and Matt has been such a, uh, a structure of support for me. This has been the dream for a long time. I've kind of waited for the right moment, but the reality is there's no such thing as the right moment. It was like becoming a dad. You just got to do it. <laughs> there's not going to be the perfect day when everything aligns, but... Middle of June, I'm going to do this full time, and I've I've gone through the, the 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 roller coaster of emotions, you know, like nervous and kind of kind of scared. Because part of the thing, and people make I've watched movies about this, but following your dreams is kind of crazy. Because when it actually happens, sometimes you don't you almost don't know what to do with it. It's kind of a weird thing. But yeah, really excited. Um, thank you to all of our viewers. There's so many people. Observer, for example, is in our Discord. He's helping me right now with some cool ideas for topics for future videos. All of you guys, Matt, thank you for your support. Let's do this and have some fun and for the next 25 episodes. Yeah, I've been, for weeks I've been going, do it, do it, just do it. <laughs> so I'm, I'm really excited for you. Really Absolutely. Cool. And by the way, Matt, what was your video this week? Oh, this week I did a <laughs> video on hydropower in uh, pipes, like in the infrastructure for cities. So literally or, like toilet power. <laughs> so, yeah, yes. toilet power. Why, why toilet did power. you just start right there? Don't, don't, don't skirt around this. It's just toilet power. You heard power that right, every folks. Flush. Toilet power. Power yeah. with every flush. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, I haven't watched that one yet. I, I need, to, need to take a moment to sit down and check it out. I've been on some travel lately. Our video we uh, released this week today. Uh, not doing so well just yet, so maybe some of you guys can go check it out. But we did one on Apple versus Facebook and like this battle that they're, uh, that they're waging for kind of the future of privacy online, which I think is really, really important. Um, apparently, some of our subscribers disagree. <laughs> but uh, I, th- I thought it was fun to make, and uh, yeah, uh, check it out if you have time. Yeah, I'm with you. Let's it's get like, this it's show a, on the road. It's a very important topic, so check it out. All right. So to get started, the first story of the night is that uh, activists—they call it activists—but basically, it was shareholders have been getting fed up with ExxonMobil, and there was a recent shareholder event where they t- had a vote, and they actually got two—I guess you could call them activists—onto the board. But the kind of spin that some of the news media has been putting onto it, which is that these are activists. They're actually oil and gas industry vets that are on there, but they're industry vets that have been wanting to acknowledge climate change and have been wanting Exxon to change their direction because Exxon has been very reluctant to do absolutely anything. So there are now two members on the board. There are two others that are, the vote was too close to call, so they're still working on that. So there might actually be two more on the board that are gonna force them to change directions. Uh, but basically, uh, the drive for this began back in December by Charlie Penner, who runs a hedge fund called Engine Number One. And they've been campaigning hard to make this happen. And part of the reason for that is Exxon has been seeing very low revenue growth for years now. And for the past seven years, uh, the past seven years, five times has been ranked at the bottom of the S&P 500. And the fact that Exxon is not making changes to address where the market is going, where people want it to go, has been getting a lot of the financial side of things frustrated. And so it's kind of cool to see that 
on one side, you've got, you know, green activists that want this to happen. And now on the other side, you have maybe people that might be more conservative, but are very concerned about the financial aspect of it. They're all kind of coming together and coalescing to try to force Exxon's hand. And the most interesting thing about the timing of all this was basically at the same time, uh, a court in the Netherlands, uh, <laughs> The Hague ruled about Shell, who was in a lawsuit. They ordered that Shell must cut its emissions by 45% from 2019 levels by 2030. So there was this massive shot across the bow of Shell in the court system in the Netherlands. This happened on Exxon, and both these things kind of coinciding together has kind of sent a shockwave to the industry that is kind of freaking everybody out in the oil industry because they really need to get their stuff together. And especially Exxon, that's done absolutely nothing. And even B, like even BP um, and a few other companies have actually been investing heavily into renewables, solar, wind production, but Exxon's basically done nothing. So what do you think about this? First of all, really, really good summary. When I, when I, my first job out of college, I remember my boss, we went to like a dinner or something, like I was 22 years old. We were talking about like investing. He's like, you know, I was like, what do you, what do you guys invest in in terms of like individual stock? And by, by far and away, the most popular two, I think, were like McDonald's and ExxonMobil. And the, the consensus was, these are companies you can just bank on. Like, put your money in them, go to sleep, forget it. Like, they're going to kick butt. Um, both <laughs> have had a bit of an awakening. McDonald's, because of like the kind of a health food kick and this idea that you know you should eat better, I think their stock is doing okay. But they've been pretty stagnant. And ExxonMobil, to your point, yeah, it's really underperforming even as uh, as a kind of a tracked index fund for the uh, for the S and P. So that will be the telling story here. And if there's one positive to come out of COVID, it'll be <laughs> that it pushed this to the forefront because there was like no oil demand. So forget like little declines or very marginal, stagnant growth, we're talking like a 40% drop in demand altogether. So we've always had environmentalist or environmentally conscious people who've pushed back. But what's happening now is like the economics of it all. Yes. People are thinking, what are you doing? Why would I want to invest in Exxon that has such stagnant growth? And there's companies out there doing big things. So incredible time. And I think you mentioned there are some companies who do more. Um, I'd like to. I'm curious exactly how much more they do, like BP or some of these other companies. Not enough, but they're doing something. There's something. Because one thing Exxon does do is using those commercials for like algae fuel and every other kind of nonsense under the sun. Which yeah. all that tells you is like they hired three people with lab coats in some little remote lab to do like a hundred thousand dollars worth of research, and that's all the commercials about because. Nothing's been productized or commercialized from it. Nothing ever will. These are all just greenwashing ways of them looking more advanced or intelligent or forward-thinking than they really are. So they're getting called out on it now. And this is going to increasingly start to happen across the board. So there will be some companies that make a transition and say, look, we used to provide this energy. Now we provide this energy. We're an energy company. And others who are just oil companies that I think will fall by the wayside. Be, I'm curious about the the Dutch ruling and how much that'll impact them. Cause that's just one small country yeah. in the, the bigger scheme. Everybody's expecting that ruling to get, it's obviously gonna get contested. They're obviously gonna contest that ruling. So it's probably gonna be rolling on for months, if not years in the courts before things get settled out. But it's still a very symbolic thing that there's a, a government, a court and a government in the world that has basically just put the hammer down. And it's the first time this has happened. And then on the flip side, you have on a financial side, 
shareholders getting upset and saying, you got to change, you got to adapt or die and changing out the, the, the board of directors. So it's like, I love the fact that both sides of the climate change argument are, are kind of kind of coalescing together. It's like, I always bring it up in my videos. I always talk heavily about like how much these companies make and how much growth they can expect to see over the next five to 10 years. And one of the reasons I hate on that every single time is as much as I hate to say it, it's like money makes the world go round. It's like companies, it may, it may be the right thing to do, but until the bottom line looks fantastic, it, you're not going to get big companies to shift. And so it's like, if you can show it's the right thing to do and it saves money, it's like, it doesn't matter what your belief system is, people are going to kind of drift that way. And so this is kind of showing that the money is now starting to shift towards renewables and the fact that Exxon has been in denial about climate change doesn't matter anymore because the money side of it is going to force them to go that direction. I, I, I completely agree. We've also seen kind of whenever like you see growth, you never know what the end is. Like, for example, on our YouTube channels, oh, I, you know, we, we're growing, we're growing. What's the end game? When 7 billion subscribers, right? Like every, every human is subscribed and they yeah. watch every video. At that point, you're peak YouTube. There's nothing more you can do to possibly <laughs> make more money, right? Yeah. So oil companies for 100 years have been pushing and saying like, like drill, baby, drill. What is the end game? We're kind of seeing it now. Everybody wants to cars, kind of got one. There's going to be some developing countries that buy cars too. But kind of the idea of like peak car, we're... I was reading a report today that people don't want to go back to the office when COVID's over. Yeah. Uh, at Salesforce, where I've been at for five years, they're opening it up optionally. You can go in if you like. They're going to have staff and re reduced numbers, but you can go in if you want. And the reports were saying a lot of people do not want to go back to full-time in the office because why would you? Why would you want to sit in traffic for two hours a day, right? Mm -hmm. So all of those kinds of things spell doom for oil companies. And so I think... To answer that question, like what would be the maximum amount of capacity you could ever possibly sell? I think we've, we're kind of there at this point. Yeah. We've hit peak oil. It's like it's now going to be on the decline. Yep. People d might, might debate that, but put your money where your mouth is and invest accordingly. And um, yeah. I've seen ExxonMobil's uh, share prices, and uh, that's a hard pass for me. Yes. <laughs> so you ready for the next story? The next story is a lot more fun and a lot more clean. This is a really cool company out of the UK called Energem. And what they've done is they've built this product where you can harness your energy from pedaling a bicycle while you work out. And it goes into this battery pack right here. So this becomes like a portable battery pack that you can charge laptops and phones and stuff. Um, they're saying you can charge a MacBook Pro two and a half times. That's a pretty good sized battery. Um, or put 30 miles on your e-bike. So a, a good amount of a uh, good amount of storage there. And I've actually wanted to make one, and I've toyed with the idea. Now that I'm full time, maybe I will, of taking an old recumbent bike and converting it into something I can like plug into the wall and export energy. This won't do that, at least on a first. And the reason is because you have to have like UL certifications and things when you're talking about like an appliance that plugs into the the grid. But this is kind of the next best thing. And in, I think future models will have an inverter where they can allow you to plug in 110 or 240 volt devices and stuff like your laptop or a mini fridge or, or something like that with 500 uh, watts or less of power consumption. I love stuff like this because, you know, we have gyms in the world where they have huge electricity bills running air conditioning and lighting. And then they have a bunch of machines where 
physical yeah. activity is happening. Lifting kinetic heavy energy. weight up in <laughs> kinetic energy, right? Yeah. So um, this is all part of that. You know, when we were younger as a species, we just waste electricity, you know, kind of flippantly. But as we mature, we're, we're smarter now. We can start to look at, like, all the unique little ways. Like, Matt had a video, um, we should acknowledge, that totally blew up, where he talked about bladeless wind turbines. And the reason why it's fascinating is a wind turbine, can, we've talked about them on our show, it could be like a, like a half a football field in diameter. You're not putting that in your backyard. Yep. But a bladeless wind turbine, like the one um, Matt uh, described in the desert there, yeah. that you, can, you can just put those wherever you'd like. I could have them on my property even. I could have a couple of them in discrete locations and, and make energy. So this is like a, an age where we're looking at every little thing that we do there's companies that are harnessing like the power of walking. It's this little kind of like a leg brace you wear, and as you're walking, you're charging stuff up. Now, vibrations is a big one, like with every step or every. There's even companies that that say they could uh, store energy from like the vibrations and like shock absorbers in a car. Yeah. Really, there's there's a slew of new interesting ideas. Not all of them will take, but I wouldn't be surprised if in like 15 or 20 years, all gyms have bikes and stuff that. Forget needing power; they're making power, and they're they're exporting it. So I, I just think it's so cool. And I'll take this to the audience. But if I had like a video where I did that kind of a conversion, would you guys watch? I I honestly don't know. But if if people are interested, I think it'd be kind of cool. And the article mentions that like a human can produce about 150, a really good cyclist maybe like 200 watts of of, of output. So yeah, um, you're not gonna be running your whole house for anything, but you know. Tell well, your kids and your wife. Every, everyone takes turns just riding these bikes and, and powering your house. I mean, I mean, you hit it on the head. It's like how much wasted energy that we have in the world around us for everything we do. I mean, that was my toilet power video that I just did this week. It's like we have this, you know, water being delivered to people's houses that requires a certain amount of pressure. And it's like we could put little things in there and harness some of that power to get it back out again. This makes so much sense. And you talked about the 200 watts. It's like the article also said, what was it? 200 watts per person. So if you had a, a gym with 30 riders and a cycling class for an hour, that's 200 watts per person, which is about six kilowatt hours. Six to 10 classes a day with that you know, setup would mean 48 kilowatt hours of stored energy over the course of a day. That's, that's not chump change. That, that's enough to run your air conditioning. That's enough to you know, probably help the building be almost self-sufficient. So it's like, that is kind of kind of crazy that it's like you're, you're sitting on this gold mine of kinetic energy. But somebody asked me a question, would gyms offer a discount to you because you're actually, <laughs> you know, like right. get a free membership or half off your membership if you, you know, use these bikes because you'll be providing power to the building? And my response was basically, no, they're not going to do that because it's going to be their bottom line. They're going to be very happy to take that energy for free. But it's, it's just so cool about all, all the different kinds of thinking that are going around, thinking outside the box of where we can harness this wasted energy that we're, we have all around us. Because there's more than just solar and there's more than just wind. There is so much stuff, so much potential. This is such cool stuff. Absolutely. And historically, we've always ignored these little sources because, you know, we'll build one nuclear power plant. Who cares about 200 watts here and there? But all of that adds up. And mm -hmm. as people are walking around the world or doing what they normally do, all those little bits, like you mentioned, just a couple of classes from one gym. It's, it's not trivial at all. Yep. Yeah, it's a bizarre model, right? We pay a company to go sit in there and, like, pedal a bike <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that needs to be plugged into a wall 
to yeah. run the screen. Why, why doesn't Peloton at least have a thing where like get your butt pedaling if you want to see what's on the screen and, and all of that? Like <laughs> exactly. they could at least do that. But anyway, maybe there's. But I love these kinds of stories. Like that's Matt. I don't know if I've ever told you, but personally, I refuse to go to the gym because I'm not picking up 25 pound dumbbells like without like just for the heck of it. Like strap me into something and make some energy. We'll talk, but I'm, you know, I can't be bothered with that. That's that's the only reason why I'd be buff and fit. You know, you wouldn't believe it. That's the only thing holding it back. If we could, that's it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh yeah. 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 Absolutely. It's a. Uh, it's a principles thing for me, you know. It's just yes. uh, I'm not going to waste that energy. It's, so <laughs> it's my it's my excuse too. I'm going to use that excuse too. <laughs> okay, so this one is another kind of a fun story. We're going back to the Ford F-150 Lightning that we talked about a couple weeks ago. Um, I've been very excited about this this release, uh, the announcement. I thought Ford not only hit it on the engineering side, I thought they hit it on how the communication side, and some news came out and I personally think that Ford kind of buried the lead here because Marquez Brownlee actually in his video where he got to experience it, he kind of discovered that they were sandbagging the numbers and it turns out that Ford's estimates for the 230 and 300 mile range estimates are based off of the truck hauling 1000 pounds of weight. So they did this deliberately for the user experience point of view because people who are buying this truck are going to be hauling stuff and they wanted to give them a accurate estimate as to what they could expect in using the truck, which means hauling things. So they presented numbers based on that. So if you're not hauling, the numbers go way, way up. And in Marquez's video, he actually estimated based on the uh, battery he was looking at, the range it was estimating would have been around 459 miles if it was fully charged. That's Cybertruck territory. That is like really amazing that Ford has that. And to me, the more important part of this is that I just freaking love how Ford handled it with the, because I like Tesla. They're, they're really amazing at engineering and building these cars and really kind of just rethinking everything. I love their approach. And the only thing I keep harping on again and again is they suck at communications. They don't know how to do PR. They don't know how to do preemptive communications with potential customers to keep them from getting frustrated when things change. Like right now that's happening again because they're taking radar out of the car. And there were people that had bought their car expecting to get that and it's now no longer gonna be there where if they had been a little more proactive in how they communicated it, like on the buying screen, they could have said something like, you know, radar may not be included in this this purchase or something like that. It's like there's different things they could have done to try to get ahead of it, but they're always reacting to the outcries because of the decisions they made. And it's not that the decisions are wrong, it's just how they communicate those decisions. So it's like, here's Ford kind of showing you, here's how you do it. Here's how, here's a company who's got, of course, a very good marketing team, has a buttoned up PR team, and they clearly thought through the entire user experience not just the engineering of the truck, but how you communicate what this truck can do to your potential audience. I just love it. It's 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 kind of like a, a 101 for user experience design to me. It's fantastic. Now, I, I hope I hope you agree with me, but it would be fun if you didn't. So let's hear what you think. <laughs> I, I have to, so Eric uh, Burendorf had a, <laughs> had a great comment. He says, okay, now talk about that stupid fold down shifter. Have you seen, have you seen what he's talking about? No. Oh, the so, shifter that folds down so that you can have a full flat thing, yeah. Right. Yes. 
the, the reason why all of it is bizarre is it is a wildly complicated mechanism. Yes. And the reason why it does that is because the armrest, and this is incredibly cool. The armrest has a little hinge and it folds out. And when you do that, you have like a freaking a desk. table. It's a desk. You, yeah, I could, you could have a desk. Absolutely. You could have a, like a notepad and a laptop. And, a, and you could have, I could do my, we could do our work from, from this thing. It's so cool. Um, the trade-off there is in the Cybertruck, that would have been a seat. Potentially, that would be a six-seater, which I think is pretty awesome. I, I'd love to yeah. have. Sometimes I think six is the number I really need. But So that's why they have it. But to make that happen, they took this old design and engineered the hell out of it <laughs> to, to fold flat. To, mm-hmm. But really, it could have just been relocating it to something like on the, on the front or in the wheel like Tesla has and free up that entire area. That was my first thought as well. So that's, that's a funny comment. I mentioned this in my video that I did. I think I mentioned it when I talked to you guys uh, in previously two weeks ago. I've, I think Ford is going to under-promise and over-deliver in a major way. And the reason why is because for them, it's not optional. They have to do that. If the first guy who buys one of these says, they told me I'm going to get 300 miles and I had a bag of, you know, a 15-pound bag of concrete and I'm getting 240. Don't buy this truck. It's over. Mm-hmm. Because... Unlike Tesla, Ford is not going to sell these cars on the wow factor or showing off to your neighbors and stuff, right? Uh, Tesla has that going for them. So for me, I always thought Ford, it has to be like, no, dude, you're going to be surprised when you talk to your neighbors. You're like, no, I I loaded it up and I towed something. You're not going to believe this. I got like 280 miles with a trailer or something. I think that's the sort of thing that they're going to, um, or maybe even more than that. And this kind of gets back to what I mentioned before. I know two uh, Porsche Taycan owners who both tell me they're 202-mile rated Taycans, they routinely get 280 miles on it if, yep. they, um, if they drive it, you know, if they're not driving like a, like a Porsche Taycan. <laughs> um, so those are examples of over-promising or under-promising and over-delivering. With Tesla, my 300-mile range Tesla Model 3 that I love never, never gets, gets over 250. Yeah, no. never, never going to get there. Um, the other thing, too, is the, the F-150 being not particularly aerodynamic, will require a bigger battery pack. And that, I think, is what they're still sorting out. They don't want to spend money and make the truck more expensive, but at the same time, they know they're going to need a lot of batteries. And because it's not as efficient as like a Svelte like Model X, the differences in range when you have a little bit of a dirty configuration with like a trailer is not as noticeable. Like a Tesla Model 3 is cutting it. It's almost perfection in terms of aerodynamics. So if you go put a trailer on it, your 300 miles becomes 100 miles very quickly. Whereas with this Ford situation, because, you know, just the, the percentage of a, of a smaller number, the reduction might be less. Same reason why, like, a, a diesel F-150 that gets 12 miles a gallon gets 9 miles a gallon when you're towing something huge or 10 miles a gallon. Because it's already getting terrible efficiency to begin with. Whereas, like, the Tesla is, like, almost perfection. And um, so that reduction is just is massive. I think people should, if you like the truck, continue to like the truck and just be patient and wait. We'll get more information, but I have a really good feeling they're going to overpromise uh, or underpromise and overdeliver in a major way. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So our final story is about the Boring Company. So we we don't we haven't talked about the Boring Company a whole lot, but they've got this Las Vegas Center Loop, and uh, their preliminary testing, their actual like real world testing, uh, has shown that it exceeds forty four hundred passengers per hour. So, you know, they, you know, this is Elon's company. So, you, you know, they're going to be doing a lot of like simulation and testing uh, through software. But in their uh, loop simulations, they predicted as much about 4,450 4, to maybe even up to 5,000 uh, 
passengers per hour. So, you know, the passengers per hour means, you know, the, if the average car has four people in it, it takes all that into account. But the reason why this is really amazing is because some of the detractors of, of, of Hyperloop um, have, have always been uh, people are, you know, these, these tunnels, these boring tunnels, sorry, not Hyperloop, the boring tunnels is that they're too small and you'd be better served just having like a subway line, right? So they'll say that the average, you know, subway could, could have far more um, passengers per hour. But this is the interesting bit, all right? So Mayor Francis Suarez from, the Miami, from Miami noted yeah. that the boring company quoted $30 million for a tunnel under the Miami River. In comparison, <laughs> a, <laughs> a transit official estimated $900 million for a tunnel, a similar tunnel for like a, for a subway type of a um, scenario. It's insane. That, that is insane. Yeah, that is a 30x reduction in price, and that's literally Elon's game, right? Elon takes stuff and cuts the price by a factor of 10. And one of the ways he does this is the boring hole size. You turns out you don't ba- no, don't make the hole so Sorry, big. I couldn't hear Uh-oh. what you- <laughs> Siri, Siri wants to get to in on this. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it turns out you if you um, get rid of the the need for having such a massive tunnel for two trains in uh, different directions and instead do something more of a, you know, a humble uh, road for a couple of cars, the costs come down significantly. And you got to remember too, this doesn't account for automation. So when cars are driving themselves, these numbers could easily bump up. I think Matt, you've mentioned before, we as humans have, you know, reaction time, let's say, you know, 300, 400 milliseconds, which really determines how closely you can travel to the car uh, beside you. So here, mm-hmm. here, this is the one directional travel uh, in the tunnel. So this is You'd need a tunnel in either direction, or you you know change directions. But probably you'd have like adjoining tunnels side by side. And when you have auto- automation and you have self-driving cars alongside this, I think these numbers could easily kind of double from where they are now. And imagine you just put it into a self-driving mode; it pops up into the city where you need to go, and you 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 bypass all the congestion in major in city areas. That's the promise of the boring company, right? This is literally their premise, rethinking how we approach the idea of underground transit. And I think it's kind of a winner. I think it's going to be maybe not in every locale, but if you're New York City or Chicago, you're LA, there's probably regions where something like this might be the difference between no transit at all because of that $900 billion price tag and actually doing something. So I thought it was interesting. The, the, um, the detractors of this always point out that you can do more people per hour through buses and trains and subways, which is very true. But this is faster and this is way cheaper than a new subway line. And so it's like if you're talking about congested cities, you don't necessarily want to add more buses to the already congested roads. You could dig tunnels far cheaper than a subway and get people to where they want to go faster even though it may not be quite as efficient as a full-blown subway system, it's kind of like there's trade-offs to be made. And the fact that he can do this so much cheaper than <laughs> that, nine, that $900 million for the same tunnel is insane. That is just insane. I don't understand how that math is so off compared to what a government-led operation is going to do versus what they're going to do. It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. But The nature yeah. of disruption, I know. You know... Um, my editor Juan always makes fun of me because he'll come up to me and say, "Hey, let's get a a small little 
microphone we can put on top of the camera just in case you're not mic'd up. At least we'll have some audio that we can use, right? And I'll go, that's a good idea. And it's like a hundred dollar mic. That's a good idea. And then I'll kind of start researching. Oh, well, this one's way better, but it's 200. And then next thing you know, I'm <laughs> looking at a mic that's like $800. And I go, ah, we don't need it. And he's yeah. like, what happened to the hundred dollar mic that we were talking? And I always do that. I like take something, a good idea and like blow it up to a point where it's like, oh, no, that's not. And that's kind of what this feels like. It's like, oh, you know, we're not going to do this because we want to have larger tunnels with more capacity. So are you building tunnels? Oh, no, no, we're not building tunnels. That, that's the point. Like you're, if you were building a ton of subway tunnels already at $900 million for two miles, fine, but you're not. This could be the thing that makes you actually do it. Yeah. It's the $100 little cam- little mic that will get you better out than the built-in mic on your, on your, on your <laughs> camera without going overboard. Yeah. I want to experience it. I want to go to Las Vegas and, and experience this firsthand because it looks really cool. Yeah, now now that I'm full time, maybe maybe I'll do that. Let's <laughs> yeah. meet up in Las Vegas. Uh, I hear it, uh, I hear it's a pretty happening place. Yeah, yeah. I just want to say thank you, Matt. Honestly, Matt, is, you've always been a source of inspiration and, and encouragement. You know, YouTube is a crazy place, but <laughs> can't really bank on anything. So having people uh, support system and all all of us, and I know I've met a lot of you guys, but I talked to some of you, like uh, Katie Green, uh, Dusty. I talked I talked to him. He helped me with my thumbnail for this last video. So thank you to all of you guys for supporting in what we do. And um, always chime in. Let us know what you want to see or what you want to have us do. Matt and I are always open to new ideas on future topics. So thank you. Yeah, well said. I agree with that completely. And don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And hit the notification bell so you don't miss an episode. We're live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. And you can always listen to the podcast version at viceversa.show. And as always, thanks so much for watching, and we'll see you in the next one.